What's up, everybody? This is Andre, and I'm here with Michael. And on today's episode of Radically Normal, we'll be wrapping up season three of our podcast, and we will finish off the book of Second Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter thirteen. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. We may have hinted at it before, but I don't know if we've actually announced what we're doing next season. I think you've definitely announced it, bro. Like for sure, you've announced it. All right. Well, if we haven't, we're going through Exodus. But in the meantime, we have the last chapter of 2 Corinthians to go, chapter 13, and then we'll be going a long ways back to Exodus, which will also be the longest book we've ever done by a long shot, as Nehemiah and 2 Corinthians were 13 chapters and Mark was 16. I'm going to start getting really hard to, to make you watch your, your timing on, on your your, your long, uh, your long talks in, in our episodes. I'm gonna have to work really hard to, to, <laughs> to summarize uh, big chunks of uh, Exodus for us next season. But that's really exciting, and really looking forward to that. It's actually been a little bit of time since we last recorded, so uh, maybe Michael can give a little bit of an update on what he uh, shared with you guys on our last episode. Yeah, so before we said, hopefully by the time this comes out, I would be engaged, and that's now true. Uh, so a few weeks ago, what was it? Three weeks ago, just over three weeks ago, I proposed and Andre drove all the way up from Houston for the engagement party. So that's a little relationship status change. If we're talking about Facebook. Now, uh, my co-host Michael, while he may still have time for the podcast, he doesn't have time to hang out with the guys anymore. So, oh gosh, you know, Stay, yeah, I don't have time to hang out with people that are four hours away. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's all right. Uh, we had to have a little conversation about, um, you know, guys' trips and all that and how those things <laughs> won't oh be gosh. happening anymore. Uh, we are you know, going skiing just, in just December. The just the usual. Just the usual stuff. We're going skiing. We're, We're not going to get stuck. It was Andre and I's first time. We're not going to get stuck on a moderate green called boomerang this time we're just gonna start <laughs> off with the blues and head to the blacks actually funny uh uh abby posted abby uh michael's now fiance uh posted on instagram some engagement pictures you know the usual <laughs> and i commented on there i said take care of him for me <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was pretty funny so hopefully she lets us go on a ski trip are you just uh, hyping up your own joke oh yeah <laughs> And hopefully, hopefully she lets us go on this on this uh, ski trip, like you said. Oh no, this ski uh, trip's a go. We got it. All right, all right. We'll see. But anyway, decided to to have a day to record again before we take another what's going to seem like another equally long break. I think the last one was about three weeks. We're about to take another three or four weeks before we start recording again. But I'm excited to have one last episode in Book of Second Corinthians and, and wrap it up with final warnings and final greetings. You know, when you first said that, when we were talking about this before we started recording, I thought you were so, so like, I thought that was like very original, could be like a title for the episode. This like flowed really well. And then I realized it was just the ESV headings, final warnings before verse one and final greetings before verse 11. So not so that original. I really got that. It, it could be, it could be the, the episode title. Yeah. Could have been my idea. Maybe I thought of it before I read it. You know, who knows? <laughs> you know, there's actually, speaking of getting it off of there, there's a lot of SBC talk about plagiarism and not to get into it too much, but there's a lot of questions on like 
how much is like plagiarism if you like take points from other people's sermons and or if you ask them for permission and you still use their outline for that sermon or so, that sort of thing. There's a lot of talking to SBC about right that about that right now or lots of social media what? debate. Yeah, so that's super interesting because I, mean, I don't know. Like they, it kind of makes me think like you'd want in order to not plagiarize, it's kind of like coming up with your own ideas. But if you know, there's like a uh, a baseline to like hold as truth, and I feel like plagiarizing I, I say in air quotes I don't know if that really applies you know well so it would be, would be somewhat similar at least I'm not going to get into the actual debate and my side on it I will say that what if, what happened is the SBC just selected a new president Ed Litton who I do support and he uh Ed Litton it ba- basically people were like going through his sermons and they realized that it, a lot of a few of his sermons on Romans I think it was Romans sounded like verbatim like JD Greer the former SBC president's sermons on Romans 1 and oh, man. so then he got a lot of criticism because there were videos comparing them and then basically uh, it turned out that Ed Litton had been in contact with J.D. Greer about like hey I like your outline and your points on this can I use this and J.D. Greer was basically like well yeah use whatever you want like use what's helpful like being very nice uh, both amazing men of God and so there's just been a bunch of controversy and questions surrounding all of that but not to dive too much into that, just a random thought that came to mind about what's going on. Another another good man of God that we do need to talk about is Paul. So why don't we jump into that? Yeah, kick us off. What do we got here? So, <clears throat> yeah, so the first thing we see is, um, actually, I don't know, do you want to give kind of a, a, kind of a summary of, of what we've missed? I know uh, there's like a week gap between our last episode uh, I don't know if you want to uh, go back before before I dive into to this uh, this chapter, kind of our usual format. If you if you want to, if not, I can go ahead and go to chapter, go to verse one. No, that's good. So, and I'm wondering now since we haven't recorded for three weeks, if Andre is secretly asking for a recap for himself. But <laughs> nonetheless, no, 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 that's that's usually that's usually your thing, man. Nonetheless, in chapters 10 and 11, which we did record on the same day, I remember we had talked a lot in those episodes about themes running back and forth about boasting, foolish boasting, foolishness, those sorts of things. Chapter 11 was very long. He talks a lot about his suffering for Jesus and about how he is an apostle. He boasts in what he would say is some sort of foolish manner. But then in chapter 12, we take a little bit of a turn. And he, and although he begins the chapter kind of in that same form of thought from chapter 11, he talks about being caught up to the third heaven. We talked about that. We talked about one of the most popular verses from the entire book, how Jesus says in chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says he'll boast all the more of his weaknesses. And then, so then at the end of chapter 12, he expresses concern for the church at Corinth, And uh, to close out in chapter 12, in verse 14, he says, For the third time, I'm ready to come to you. He doesn't want to be a burden. Remember, he wants reconciliation. He wants harmony in the church. Uh, And then we get all the way down to the beginning of chapter 13, which I'll just read the beginning, the first half of uh, verse 1. He says, This is the third time I am coming to you. And he just referred to that in chapter 12. But he, the second visit was cut short. First visit, he founds the church. Second visit was cut short due to the painful experiences there. We've talked about that in the past episodes. Third visit, he wants it to be peaceful, full of integrated fellowship and love. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Sweet. So jumping right into chapter 13. And, and thanks, Mike, for that little recap there. 
I'm actually going to take a different point that we've talked about uh, that you didn't mention, but kind of this point that we've kind of seen of, of how Paul has kind of been accused of not being like these um, other uh, newcomers, these uh, super apostles, these, these people who are saying that, you know, Paul doesn't have this, this power of, um, you know, being, you know, truly uh, sent by Christ, right? We see that he defended in, in um, his introduction, his, his apostleship. And now he's kind of saying now, he's reiterating uh, again, kind of as a, as a secondary thing to kind of go with that. Uh, he says in verse one that every charge must be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. So he's kind of also mentioning uh, the state of him of himself and his ministry and also the state of who he's writing to. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, with the offerings that there had been, you know, with these witnesses um, uh, that he had sent someone uh, before him. And I forget who it was uh, right now. Um, Mike, who is it that, that got sent? Ahead Titus? Of him? Titus. Titus, there you go. Uh, he had sent Titus, so he's talking about these witnesses who've, who've experienced, who've spoken well of, of the ministry going on there, but have also confirmed to Paul some of the shortcomings, some of the things that he's had to write letters to them about. Um, and we see now, in you know, uniting these two ideas, uh, we kind of see that Paul is saying, now in verse 2, um, that, you know, it's this warning that, you know, uh, you know if he comes again, um, it on this third visit and he kind of like sees this, these same issues going on. It's not going to be um, really a fun. He's kind of warning them that, you know, as it says in, in verse two, uh, that if I come again, I will not spare them. So, you know, he's, he's saying that, you know, he's hoping that they can resolve all of these issues that are going on, you know, that with, uh, you know, many of the things that have been reported back to him, the things that he's seen, the, the advice and the wisdom that he shared with them through letters. Um, that during this last visit, like Michael said, that, you know, there could be the sense of love and harmony and that he doesn't have to come and find all these things that he needs to uh, reprimand and um, continue to, to work on with them, but instead that they can, you know, look to Christ and look to the power of Christ and focus on, on that power and not all these, you know, side discussions and discourse about, um, you know, whether Paul, we you know Paul's intentions and, and whether Paul has um, this boldness or this, this great speaking voice or any of those things, but instead look into their own hearts, uh, you know, because of this power of Christ that is available to them um, and begin to evaluate that, begin to work through that and, you know, be honest with themselves as, as, they, um, as they dive into that, uh, ideally before, you know, Paul arrives for their visit. Yeah, it was really good. And one more thing I'll add to that is just that, like, we get, and Andre and I were talking about this beforehand, he was pumped, it was like a reference to Deuteronomy. I asked if we should have Dr. Lee back on to talk about that. And so we so we have this reference to Deuteronomy 19, talking about how we need two or three witnesses, but I feel like we should almost just as much be talking about Matthew 18, which is where Jesus says, like, if a brother sins against you, go to him in private, tell him his fault, like, seek reconciliation one-on-one, -on -one. like, don't make it a public matter when you have one problem. But he goes, like, if the brother doesn't listen, then you bring two or three friends, two or three witnesses to raise the issue again and to, like, confirm and to strengthen and to bring community into the issue. And so it's kind of the same thing here. Like, he's saying that now that I'm coming with all the issues surrounding the church, like, it's going to need to be a public matter that we, like, resolve this publicly and we, see we seek this out publicly. It's not going to be, like, a private thing. This is going to have to be a church-wide thing. 
And then so kind of moving on, like Andre was, he's saying they seek proof that Christ is speaking in him. But it's interesting how by the time we get to verse 5, he's kind of flipping it and saying, the question isn't if you, uh, the question is not if I have Jesus speaking through me. The question is even if Jesus is, is in you. Like, I know I'm a new creation. The question isn't if Jesus is speaking through me. The question is, are you a new creation? And so he kind of flips it on them and and really, you know, points out, like going off of verse 4, like he his ministry is in weakness. Uh, Paul connects weakness to Jesus, shows himself as a follower and image of that. And then, but he wants to point out like that their examinations of themselves should be around the fact that like Corinthians, especially with how that culture was, they didn't treasure weakness. They didn't treasure that submissiveness. And so they need to see if they're in the faith. He kind of flips it on them. So it's kind of an interesting contrast to consider. That's really good. And, and, you know, Paul talks about this test and he says, uh, in verse five, test yourselves. Um, and, you know, there's the question that Michael has had just posed that Paul poses um, to the church. And he says, you know, it, the real question is whether uh, Jesus Christ is in you. Um, and, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, even though they may think that uh, Paul and, you know, those surrounding him, you know, his community may have failed the test. Um, in reality, what they're going to find out is that if they put Paul to the test that, you know, they're going to see that, that Paul passes the test, but they should be more, you know, worried with the state of their own uh, relationship with Christ. He's telling them to question, you know, you know, what the state of that relationship is, if it's even there uh, for them to take a good um, hard look at themselves and, uh, you know, really put it to the test. And, and I think that this really uh, is something that, um, you know, we can, we can uh, look to as something that, you know, still applies today and, and kind of how Paul is saying that, you know, there are a lot of people who, who might be in the right circle, such as these people might be in a, you know, like we talked about in week one, really good, you know, social situation uh, in the church, all those things. But when you really put it to the test, uh, you know, you, you know, it, it's, it's important to, to, you know, be honest with yourself, you know, ask God to, um, you know, show you where your shortcomings are and, you know, make sure that you're right, um, you know, with him uh, so that you don't, you know, have this, this false sense of security, but in reality, uh, you don't have that, that, um, that true um, relationship. And you can't, you know, truly answer that, that question that Paul asks here, you know, whether Christ Jesus um, is in, is in uh, all of us. So that's the point I'll make, make for that. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's one thing that's interesting is like, and you said false sense of security. And I think that's like the most crucial is even for believers, like kind of going like with the whole Romans six, like, shall we sin that like, because grace abounds and Paul's like, well, by no means we like, we don't just go out and sin because we know that we're forgiven fully, freely and forever. And so in the same way, like in reading verse six, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test. And so thinking about that in light of verse five, Garland really helped me out in his commentary. And he talks about how he de Paul doesn't think that they'll fail themselves on the test. And he says, quote, they could not test themselves unless they were true Christians. And so he says that the idea of them testing themselves is going to authenticate Paul's ministry because if they authenticate themselves as Christians, they should also be giving him the proper verdict that he's the one that brought the gospel 
to them that they believe in that they now identify with and so it should reorient their hearts towards paul as well so i thought that was really cool like the idea that we like christians like you have to be a christian to test yourself if you're actually in the faith but it's just like an examination to to all people i mean i think about you think about all the time we i mean these big church events nowadays that we go to and there's uh whoever's preaching will say something about examination and there are definitely people in the crowd who have lived nominal Christian lives for years who don't truly know Jesus but who are kind of floating about in the church and it's a great call to them and at the same time it's a great call to people who are super strong in their faith like knowing that they don't have a false sense of security they have true security they need to walk in that so I think it's like a good call to a bunch of different groups in the church I guess but not to spend too much time on one verse speaking speaking of uh, big church events uh I guess like about a week after this. Oh yeah. Out, there would have been a, a, a nice little announcement um, from uh, the, you know, the, whatever the Instagram account is that runs the passion. Is it passion two, six, eight? I think it's something like that. Yeah. They kind of, they announced uh, the big announcement about passion 2022 and it's going to be at the bends. So that's pretty cool. Speaking of big, big church events. Um, yeah. We won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might be there, man. I know you won't be there. You're supposed to be in the wedding. So I guess <laughs> I need to find somebody new. I am sad because uh, I actually I said to Abby, I'm sad that I can't go because David Platt's preaching. And she was like, you're sad that you can't go like we have a wedding. And I was like, I can't wish for two things at the same time. I don't know. But it would have been funny if uh, Matt was back at Passion. That really would have been uh, the icing on the cake. Well, Matt's my lead pastor, so, you know. Exactly. My my real treat at the last Passion, I feel like, was getting to hear John Piper preach. Uh, hero of mine, collected Matt, works. Matt was, right at, next to me. Matt, Matt was at, uh, Matt Chandler was at Passion 2021, actually. Yeah, the online one, yeah. Mostly online. Oh, yeah, I guess I you know. could go visit or whatever in person if you're there, right? Yeah, something like that. If you're, yeah. again small groups or something like that i don't know i think jackie hill perry if i'm not wrong maybe i am wrong i think jackie hill perry is also speaking at the one this winter and she is an amazing women's bible teacher so that's also really cool but i guess this is an episode about chapter yeah. 13 so <laughs> yeah so jump, jumping back in kind of back to the one of the first points that you made michael um looking at second half of verse nine that paul is praying for their restoration that he's writing to them while he's away from them before he visits so they can have this harmony and this peace and resolve all of their issues and have this um, restoration, as Paul says, um, while he's there. And, and Paul says that he doesn't have to be severe in his use of the authority that the Lord has given to him. Uh, and that he, you know, while he visits them, wants to be building them up, uh, strengthening them, helping them, um, and not having to you know, be reprimanding them and, um, you know, continuing to go down this um, journey of, of um, as Michael pointed out publicly, um, going through all these issues and, and resolving those um, in a more public sense, um, bringing in witnesses and, uh, you know, really going um, into finding this reconciliation in, in that way. And, you know, he wants, he doesn't, he says, you know, he wants this to be an opportunity for him to build them up and for them to grow together and to have that relationship that, you know, he has reiterated in the previous chapters. Um, and I think that's, that's uh, 
really telling, honestly, that, you know, that Paul says this here, that, you know, his, his greatest longing uh, in the beginning of verse nine, he says that, you know, even if he is weak or he says, we are weak, um, you know, his, his community that he's with, even if they're weak, if it makes uh, them strong, you know, that's what, you know, that's what ultimately he wants. He wants them to be restored. He wants them to be built up, to be strengthened. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll really do anything for that. You know, we see his vulnerability through all of this, uh, that he doesn't want to, you know, cause him strain or, or, you know, excess grief, but, you know, he has this one goal in mind is that's that they're restored and that they um, analyze and think about this test that they, uh, you know, consider their relationship with Christ and, and that they are looking to all those things and looking to be uh, restored. That's good. I think I think one thing that keeps standing out to me is power and like the willingness to use it or the lack thereof. And so like you think about he doesn't want to use this authority just because he like like I've been saying, he wants that integration. He wants that harmony, that fellowship. And I always think back to what Russell Moore says, which is like the people that we need on the front lines fighting the political and cultural issues of the day are not the people that get the most fired up about them immediately but are the people that actually kind of shy away and don't feel like that's their sort of thing. And um, it's kind of interesting because Paul is the leader of this church and is right in, or in a sense has authority over this church. He's their spiritual father, that sort of thing. But he doesn't want to use that authority, which in a way, if we're kind of connecting, I mean, Russell Moore wouldn't have said to apply this to the situation, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Like it's, proper and humble for Paul to use the authority because he's so uh, unwilling to. Like, it's not his natural inclination to do so, which just shows that his heart is in the right place. And his heart is in the place that it wants peace, which is kind of what he tells them. I mean, kind of get into the final greeting. Um, But he wants them to have peace with them. And peace is a sign of contentment and a sign of, well, relaxation, not in the sense of you know, you can't do any, you're not doing anything, but in the sense of like, there's, uh, all of the chaos is subdued. And so that's kind of what he's going for. He knows how to properly use power and he wants peace amongst the people. That's really good. And that kind of does take us to these, um, not these, but this section of this last section, actually of, of final greetings, um, and, you know, he says, uh, you know, live in peace, as Michael said, but that's not the only thing that he says. Um, you know, he, he tells them, you know, this is kind of a call for them to uh, live their lives in this healthy and, and way that honors each other and, um, you know, builds each other up um, to have you know, restoration is the first thing that he says, but he also says for them to comfort one another, to agree with one another, uh, live in peace, as Michael said. This is all kind of tied to... Um, this, um, you know, blessing here that, that he um, is kind of saying is tied to this way of them living their lives for each other, um, living in, in harmony and, and uh, in, in this, you know, communal relationship of building each other up and, and uh, helping and, and, and protecting each other from, from sins and from, uh, you know, on guard of, of the people that may be coming in to, to confuse them and, and, you know, corrupt the ways of their thinking and all that. And he says, God of love and peace will be with you. And Michael, feel free to uh, make any comments about that, about uh, verse 11. But then in verse 12, he says, no, just uh, keep going. another with a holy kiss. And uh, <laughs> I'd love for you to, to 
say something about that. The only thing that I really saw about that was that it was an unromantic kiss, which I kind of already uh, had assumed it wasn't a romantic kiss, <laughs> uh, but rather a holy kiss. Um, and saw a few other points that um, about you know, like random things, you know, the house is a kind of a cultural um, occurrence and all those kinds of things. But Michael, you said that you might have a few points about this. So I'll uh, kick it back to you. Yeah, I mean, you think about, I mean, there's times and we can kind of go through when we see kissing in the New Testament, like in terms of this non-romantic, this unromantic kind of kiss. I mean, like in Luke 7, we have multiple times where um, there's this sort of reverence or this sort of love in the kiss. And so I think one thing that was interesting that I was reading was about how it's a sign of fellowship amongst people that have been made one in Jesus, despite the like complete diversity and um, variety in their backgrounds. So whether like not, not just like gender, which I mean, you can listen to practically any scholar. Christianity was so good for the progression of women's roles in society, Uh, or it'd be like ethnic background. You think of the integration of Jews and Gentiles in the second half of Ephesians two in the body of Christ made one Um, or, or anything else, background, um, country, like whatever, kind of that this holy kiss is like a way for all these people to come into fellowship. It's like a sign of they've all been united to Christ as one sort of people. So I guess that's all I'd say. That's the holy kiss. If you really want to think of another example of a non-romantic, very non-romantic kiss, you can just think of, think of Judas. But uh... (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that'd be the unholy kiss though. Oh yeah, the unholy kiss, but also unromantic. <laughs> uh, anyway, jumping into this last section, I think that it kind of highlights just how important um, uh, Paul view how important uh, this like sense of community, building each other up, um, living in that way is, um, and how you know how much importance Paul is putting to that. Because I I saw that you know this was in verse fourteen the only uh, instance up to now that where we see. Um, you know, uh, the Father, Son, and, and Spirit, you know, mentioned all together kind of in the same verse. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. But in verse 14, where, uh, you know, Paul says, the grace of Christ, love, God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, uh, I'll be with you, uh, and kind of like offers them this blessing. And I, I think that that kind of just highlights how, how important, uh, you know, these things are to Paul. Yeah, I think that's so good. I could not love the, I mean, I literally just wrote in my notes, Trinitarian finish, amen. Because, I mean, it just sums up, I mean, it's not, and it's not like abstract about the Trinity. It's like real to Paul, like the grace of the Lord Jesus. And we've just been talking about how Jesus' grace, Jesus' power shines forth in Paul's weakness. He knows that the love of God comes into people's lives and is demonstrated in uh, the sacrifice of his son on the cross, the father, the father giving up his son, just as Abraham was willing to give up his, and then the Holy Spirit like comes and indwells uh, believers and compels them forwards due to Jesus's love. So I think it's very, I don't think it's abstract at all for Paul. Like some people think nowadays, like thinking of the Trinity is like some abstract thing for fancy thinkers. It's not at all. To Paul, thinking of the Trinity and knowing that the Trinity is amongst them, that's like the most intimate, most special knowledge possible. And so that's just really good. That's all I got. All I got too. Hope you guys enjoyed the season. And 
we will see you guys next season for Exodus, and we're excited to start working on that. Um, so Just remember, as we get into Exodus, that Andre is still not pleased with being Enneagram buddies with Moses. Uh, I didn't say I was unpleased. I said that potentially better options or cooler options. <laughs> or a younger option. Or younger, yeah, younger maybe. You know, it doesn't really seem like a, my, my current vibes, you know? But, Nobody talks about this. And I'm only thinking of this because uh, I am super pumped about Exodus and I taught through it this spring. But I cannot believe every time I think about it that in Exodus 5, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he's already 80 years old. Like that just blows my mind every time. But we'll get to that in a few mo- in a couple months. So not to jump in too much. Yeah, we have no idea on a start date, but we will get back to you guys on that soon. So look out for it on Instagram at RadicalPod. Hope you guys enjoyed this season and this episode and Mike and I will catch you guys back later.